Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. We want to thank you all for sending us great emails and messages, letting us know what you get out of the show and that you like the stories and where we're going with this whole thing. So thank you. Being a mother is an attitude, not biology. An unknown writer once said, if you give me any three words, I'll write you a story about my mother. Story is in our DNA. And of course, so is she. We gathered stories from men and women in all walks of life. Stories about the ones we have, the ones we are, the ones we know. This includes stories about stepmothers, godmothers, grandmothers, birth moms, foster moms, the mom up the street. It includes stories about not being a mom and stories about mothering in other ways. No matter how you slice it, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Hi, everybody. I'm Lupe Padilla Mitchell. I'm a life coach of mothers and families and a mother of three adult daughters. I'm Katie Mitchell, actress, writer, storyteller, and mom of a teenage son. Let's talk about today's episode. Yeah, so we have um, Katie Mangalis, and she is a sweetheart, lives in New York. And she shared a story about her grandmother and her relationship with her grandmother. The title is, She Never Said I Love You. Yeah. Was I Love You something that was said in your house, Katie? All the time. Me too. Me too. Always said. Spanish, English, hugs, very affectionate. I don't think I still see my siblings or anybody in my family that they don't get a kiss and a hug. Mm. Um, even yeah. us. I mean, we, you know, we kiss and hug for everything. Yeah. In, in fact, I have to kind of catch myself because I tend to do it with strangers. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I do too. Yeah. I do it's too. Like we just met. And, I, you know, and a lot of people have said that it doesn't, like when some people don't believe in saying it or giving the hugs or doing those things because it's, it's, it's not meaningful. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Can you imagine? No, I, I can't imagine not. Let me tell you, my mother's uh, gone 20 years this year and I could still, if I, if I just closed my eyes, she could still hold my face lovingly like mm-hmm. she used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. So um, this episode is about that love of a grandmother and granddaughter, and we hope you like it. So, hi, KDM. Why don't you tell us where you're coming from and where you're coming from and um, what you do? Great. Okay. I was born and raised in uh, Cyprus, and I came here to study, and I did my undergrad, and then I worked in London, and then I... um, I came back to do an MBA at Columbia, and so I've been in New York ever since, which is the past 26 years. What were you studying? My MBA. So I did a master's in business administration, and then I stayed and worked on Wall Street and in consulting. And then I became a mom. And now I'm, I do projects sometimes on an ad hoc basis, mm-hmm. usually financial or strategic, but I'm also spending most of my time taking care of two boys. How, how old are they? They're uh, 10 and 12. How about you guys? I know a little bit about KDM because her friend Warren told me some about her. (laughs) (laughs) And you, Lupe? I'm Katie's sister-in-law. Okay. I have three girls. They're all in their 20s. Oh, wow. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. It's so sweet with you guys. When we talk to people with younger kids, I remember all of those ages. I love the ages you're about to come into. There's going to be, you know, even more stories than you can imagine are going to be created through all their experiences. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also a, a life coach uh, for mothers and parenting. 
And then once they're over 20, you're kind of done with them. <laughs> I think so. But, uh, but the whole thing is, is that you just are witnessing them and you are slightly guiding, but you pretty much let go at that point. Yeah. Cause you did, you did, if you did your work, right. If you, if you've taught them skills, uh, thinking skills um, and uh, life skills, you get to have a pretty sweet time when they're in their 20s. And my youngest is 21, so I'm still in guiding and uh, and uh, witnessing, but a little more witnessing. And uh, and it's it's hard to watch sometimes, but you just have to have faith that you did a good job. And and do you find that they've all each one of them has found her path more or less? My two older ones, yes. Good. And my 21 year old, you're, it, I don't think that path is totally nailed. Right. If you taught them skills, being able to take rejection or any, the skills to persevere no matter what, it gets to emerge. But those first five years of, in their 20s is when they're trying those wings and the, the adulting hard knocks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, what we'd really love is to read the story. Okay. And then cocktail chat a little bit yes and 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 i don't have at all your experience doing this (laughs) we love that we want human beings telling their stories that's the best part of the podcast we have every walk of life doing it so that's that's the cool part that's it's wonderful to see how much you guys are enjoying what you're doing we are so enjoying this aren't we i can tell (laughs) yeah we would never meet you otherwise. So this is the best. You guys are great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the beauty of modern technology that we can even do this. Seriously. So shall I start? Yes, please. Yes. Okay. She never said, I love you. It was late afternoon on a sweltering July day when the phone rang in my paternal grandmother's house and Yaya answered. My pregnant mom and her mom had been killed in a car crash earlier that afternoon, and the police could not locate my dad. Could someone come to the morgue to identify the bodies? Such was the painful birth of my most cherished relationship with another human being. It was as if all the fragments of the three mother-child bonds that disintegrated in that crash reassembled and coalesced into a single indestructible silken cord binding Yaya and me together. She drove alone to the morgue. I have no recollection of my mother. I grew up calling Yaya Mamma alongside her two children, both then in their early 30s. I mimicked many of their behaviors towards her, acting like her third child and demanding the same adult treatment. By the time I came along, Yaya had figured out motherhood, the old burdens of youthful innocence and self-doubt long gone. She was ready to love unconditionally. Over the next few years, as my dad folded into himself and my granddad was busy building a new business, Yaya and I were inseparable. She stepped purposefully into my parentless void to provide food, clothing, car service, playdates, and doctor visits. In her white Vauxhall Viva, chic Yaya would whisk me away from my frozen father for weekends and holidays. She loved nature and archaeology and sports. In the mountains, we hiked, found nuts inside pine cones, and tasted resin oozing from tree trunks. On the beach, we built sandcastles and collected seashells while we chanted, She sells seashells on the seashore. I think of her every time I find myself on a fragrant, pine-rich mountain path or dive into her calm, clear sea. 
I would spend days at her house where Yaya would read to me incessantly from a library of rhyming picture books or entice me to play card games or dominoes. She counted aloud deliberately and used a mother-of-pearl pen to keep track of the score on tiny pieces of scrap paper. The day came when I could read the books and use the little pen by myself. She tried to register me in the kindergarten class of a good school in our town, but the school said I was too young to start that September. Undaunted, Yaya tried again in January, and I started school immediately. As a six-year-old, I flew to Athens with my grandparents. Yaya took me to ruins and museums and explained the purpose and provenance of ancient objects until I had a huge meltdown hating her and her archaeology. She persevered, secure in the knowledge my meltdowns could not inoculate me against her passion for learning or reverence for our rich Mediterranean heritage. Around my seventh birthday, my grandfather died. He had been diagnosed with advanced pancreatic cancer and had to undergo surgery abroad. He died soon after the operation, and Yaya arranged to bring him back home to bury. Another body. Late one night, when I was eight, I woke up, now widowed Yaya, with a phone call. I had seen two giant cockroaches in the kitchen, and I was home alone, terrified. Without questioning or belittling my phobia, my rescuer arrived armed with a bottle of DEET, conquered the enemy, and made sure I was tucked safely into bed before she left. As I aged into tween and teenagedom, transforming into a Bowie lookalike with punky hair and a rocker attitude, I pushed Yaya and all her loving intentions and attentions away. I was embarrassed to have this old lady in my life instead of a youthful parent. Suddenly, I did not want her to come to my sports games or concerts. Yaya was upset but respected my wishes, did not change her attitude toward me, nor withdraw her love. Occasionally, she would mention things she had done for me, an unsubtle reminder I owed her. I knew I did. I owed her kindness, politeness, respect, love, intimacy. And she waited. When I turned 16, she realized she would lose me soon as I would be heading to university overseas the following year. This imminent loss was on her mind as she started to say, One day, when you marry a doctor or a lawyer... I cut her off. No, no, you don't get it. I will be the doctor or the lawyer. That's why I'm going to university. I was crushed, this intelligent woman who valued education and independence so highly, who had encouraged my ambitious academic endeavors all these years, could think I would one day depend on a man. We'll see, she said in an unconvincing tone but I saw her soft brown eyes twinkling and her lips curling into a half-smile. Yaya loved baiting people with seemingly foolish comments. The only girl in her family, she had been groomed to be a capable housewife and mother with no option for higher education, no matter her innate talents and intellectual interests. Instead, she had to choose a good husband out of a group of eligible bachelors her family pre-approved for her. She had picked my grandfather for his sense of humor. In her late 80s, after watching me succeed professionally, she held my firstborn son with a huge grin on her face. I know his existence gave her hope about my future as a human being. Now I might have the chance to experience the beauty and complete vulnerability that comes with unconditional love, something no career could ever give me, the same experience I had given her. Around the age of 90, sitting on a plastic white chair by the sea in a black one-piece bathing suit, 
Her steel shapely legs stretched out on a second chair in front of her. She said, out of the blue, You know all the years I did so much for you? Yes, I said, expecting another reminder of how I owed her something. Everything I did for you, I really did it for me because it made me feel happy and fulfilled. You don't owe me anything. I owe you. No, you don't, I said. You already gave me everything. Six months after we celebrated her 100th birthday, I got a call that she had stopped eating and drinking. I understood she wanted to go. I sobbed until I threw up, trying to discharge the burden I had carried silently for years, the painful pent-up phobia of this inevitable moment. She had slipped into that sleep of no return, her breath labored and aided by an oxygen machine. I got very close, held her bony, freckled hand, and spoke loudly into her ear. It's okay, Mama. You can let go. Don't be afraid. Six hours later, she was dead, her face an eerie, waxy white, her body still warm, her sweet smell alive. She was my first body. It's just so moving, and the way you read it was so moving. I just thank you so much. That's Thank you. Like, it means a lot. We do. We really do love the piece. What intrigued me was the title. Did she really never say I love you? Never, ever. And nobody ever in my family says I love you. (laughs) And I don't know how much that is a function of how, of course, all these parental models are older than us and from another time, but also from another place. Right. Culturally. So, you know, I don't know if in America parents were saying I love you in the 1940s and 70s. I think they were. So, yes, but it's not it didn't make her strange that she didn't say that um, because Mm. nobody did. Nobody ever did. Wow. I mean, I do think there's a cultural aspect too Mm -hmm. to not saying I love you. Well, and too, only because the piece is all of her actions, her acts of love. That's right. Right? That's right. And so many people say, I love you, um, and it's hollow. Yes. Sometimes even as a parent, I have to say, because I do say it, that sometimes I think, wow, I'm saying it, but what did I really do today? Mm -hmm. Ah. Mm -hmm. Other than cook the dinner I'm supposed to cook or help with the homework, what did I really do today that really shows that? That show that you show up in a loving way. Yes. Showing up is a wonderful expression. Yes. Being present in that moment in a loving way and not questioning and not judging. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, she did for you too. She showed up. Man, did she show up. Absolutely. How old were you when, yes. your, when your mom died? One. Wow. Whoa. That's a lot. For some reason, that's a lot younger than I thought. Yeah. No, I was exactly one. That's why I don't have any memory mm-hmm. at all so you know she was my natural it's like the little duckling that or the little goose you know behind the swan that calls the swan that thinks the swan is its mother <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> yeah it was a bit like that and and um it, it just it was just seamless because I was so young and she stepped in and took over well you mm. describe it as that silken cord yes it really was um because we were in our own way, we were soulmates. You know, we were not friends the way parents try to be friends to their children today. But, um, but there was an understanding of the love that was there. 
I, I, I can't explain it, but it was. It's a feeling. Yes. Yes. There's a feeling that somebody really gets you, that someone's trying their hardest to make sure you grow up well. Yeah. And, you know, giving you everything they can to make that happen. Those tools that Lupe referred to earlier, um, she gave me as much as she could have. Wow. I'm so moved right now, by the way. By, um, you mentioned a couple of times her reminding you uh, of what you owed her. You, yeah. I think you mentioned yeah. it about twice. Yes. And then she said, you don't owe me. that." Can, can you uh, uh, talk a little bit about that? Yes. So when, um, I mean, she did. She would drive me to school and back from school and back to school for my sporting events and all these things. And um, for years and years. And when I got older and started rejecting her and didn't want her, was embarrassed by her presence. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. She would say, well, you know, do you remember all those times that I did this and this and this? And do you remember all those times you were sick and I, you know, took you to the doctor? And it was her way of trying to say, well, and now, you know, now this is the way you treat me. And of course she was right. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I was going through this horrific teenage phase. Trust me, everybody, everybody's <laughs> going to go through this phase. I'm in that phase with my son right now. So. <laughs> uh, well, I always say, like, for me, I came, I definitely came back to her when I was around 21, 22. Mm. So I think I always say to people, if your kids are still talking to you when they're 25, then you've done a great job. Right. Yeah. You just lose them for five to 10 years somewhere before then. But exactly. You just kind of have to wait it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Lion King. They have to go off. They have to buck you. They have to develop into their own human being. And you did too. And you can't feel guilty for that. We all do that. But the most beautiful part of the whole thing is her coming to that place of, you don't owe me anything. You know, I owe you. Yes. And it took till she was 90. Like, can you imagine? And I couldn't believe what she was saying that moment on the beach. I had to do like a double take. Thankfully, her daughter was there too, my aunt who I also love dearly and and cuz otherwise I wouldn't believe this moment ever happened cuz it was the closest I ever got to hey look I I love you and I loved every minute I spent with you. <laughs> yeah. What what advice would you give to other people who perhaps um are having a difficult time whether it's because how they were raised or um their their cultural background or whatever have a hard time actually saying those words I love you. I think I would say that, that the words are less important than the actions in the long term. What I try to do to make up, I think, for what my family hasn't done is give a lot of hugs mm. and, and say it to the point where, as I said before, sometimes I wonder, well, what did I really do today? Mm. But um, I try to be a lot, I, you know, the pendulum always swings the other way. I try to be a lot more affectionate than my family was with me. But I think if you have a hard time saying it, you can't, you can't fake it, but your, your actions over time, your children or your loved ones know, Yeah, they will know, like you can rest a peace that they will know. Mm -hmm. that, that is true. You know, it, uh, I mean, love is defined by the recipient of that love. You know, someone could say yes. they're being loving. They can say all the perfect words and some people uh, and mothers, uh, can say a lot of things, but it is the recipient, it is the, the, their children who are going to define their ability to love. Yes. They, their children are going to define 
what that feels like. If there was love being given. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, and it's also true that different children, I think, react differently to different ways you show your love. You know, you can have children who don't want to hug you back or don't like to be touched and you have to respect that. And in the long term, I think they will appreciate that you're respecting that or if you're making them uncomfortable. But, but I, I love what you just said, Lupe, that it's, it's the recipient who ends up um, defining whether your efforts worked. Yes. <laughs> it, it really is. And that's why, you know, you have to look at individuals in that way. It's just like, I can say this is how I love, but how do you receive love? What do you perceive as yes. being loving? Yes. And I think part, part, of, part of the way you love needs to respect how the other person is, is internalizing it or is accepting of it. Mm -hmm. It's the trick of parenting. It's like yes. parenting the child that's in front of you. Yeah. And then she obviously, yeah. uh, she mothered you. She stepped in and um, you have a line in there. She stepped in purposefully into that parentless void. Um, this is a, not a position she thought she would be in. And it looks like she loved you immensely, even if she couldn't say those words. Oh, Yes. No, absolutely. And, and she didn't have to do what she did. I think that's another thing that kind of defines love is when we, when we are able to analyze and realize that someone has done well beyond what could ever be expected. Um, so she didn't need to do most of what she ended up doing for me. And also to do it so non-judgmentally I'm not saying there were moments when she didn't judge or when she didn't get cross with me or, <laughs> well she, she did become your mother <laughs> yes exactly like I'm not taking you out looking like that or you need to wear three more sweaters before I take you somewhere but um and why aren't you doing your homework but but uh but she she really for the most part didn't judge all my you know all my ideas and we were two generations removed you know mm. I was two yes. generations away from her so um yeah I I really looking back of course it's easy to see also when you're going through it sometimes of course you don't appreciate it of course yes Let's and that is a theme that plays over and over and over uh, with every guest we interview mm -hmm. it is it is that ability to look back and gain that wisdom see the gifts that were given that we didn't recognize yes. in the moment. Yeah. Yes. And in a way, until you're trying to give those gifts, it's hard to recognize how hard it is to give them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Mostly when yes. you're sitting across from a little smart ass teenager. I swear I love you. <laughs> and, and showing up anyway, yeah. right. <laughs> I'm going to show up, darn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just want to know where who you can resign to. <laughs> Right. Another beautiful thing, you know, and I'm going to just bring it back to her sitting there saying that she owed you. It is that thing that we all come to as adults. I mean, as mothers that, you know, I came to, we all come to of the gift our children actually are for us. Yes. And yeah. what they teach us. And, and, and when you realize, oh, wow, wait, you know, I'm not here just being amazing for them and helping them be able to go have a beautiful life. They are completely the gift and the lesson of my lifetime, you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. It's it's a 
humbling experience. Mm, boy, is it humbling experience. Mm-hmm. Yes. Boy, is it humbling. When you were in the throes of those, um, having the babies and the sleepless nights and the sickness and lice and uh, <laughs> everything else that you have to deal with when they're small and when you're in the middle of the lessons, it's, you know, it's like cramming for exams like every single day until one day that grind of um, raising them starts slowing down and gives you the ability to look back um, and see what what you got out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, I mean, you see that sometimes also by the questions they ask you and and how they start testing you know, what, what you believe or, yes. And it's so wonderful how they can expand your mind way more than I feel I can expand my children's mind. I mean, I think it's because in their questions, you have to really think through your answer, right? Where an answer used to just be, yeah, when they're small, that you just answer, you say whatever you want. And they're like, sure. Then all of a sudden, like yours, they're what, 10 and 12, you said? Yes. Um, yes. Now all of a sudden you better back that up. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, and it gets very uncomfortable sometimes. <laughs> no, hold on to your socks, dude. <laughs> this, this is nothing. <laughs> let's, let's talk again in about two years. Yeah. I, mine's 16 right now, so every weekend it's a new adventure for me. <laughs> uh, it's a good way of seeing it as a new adventure. It, it truly is a new adventure, and but I mean, right when you think, oh, I'm a friggin' awesome mom and then you're oh geez I have no idea what I'm doing (laughs) what just happened wait what just happened (laughs) yeah Mm. well I love talking to you so much thank you so much for writing this for us because you wrote this for us yes I did yes I did and it's funny because um as much as I love her when I I do she was the most important person in my life there were like two or three other women who also stepped in, but not like her, mm-hmm. my aunt. So it was very, this was some level of closure for me to, to really, it made me think, writing is thinking, mm. right? So you're really thinking about what she meant to me, especially now that she's gone mm. um, and realizing how, you know, the day to day that she did for me is, is unimaginable to me, to, unimaginable. Wow. It was a, such a pleasure to, to be forced to think and write about her. Yeah. Well, then I'm so glad that we could give that to you. I really, truly do believe that um, we're exactly where we're supposed to be. And so the fact that I said to Warren, write this piece, you know, and and this happened. Exactly. And he came to you. And And your piece is a perfect example of um, acts of love mean so much more than just the words. Yes. Yes. That is... The whole purpose of your piece. The truth is, for a second, I forgot we were recording. <laughs> I started to go off on a tangent. It's like, oh, yeah, wait, I don't want that for the show. <laughs> well, we're cutting it anyway, so a lot of this you won't exactly. hear when the show airs. Exactly. That's 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 fine. Don't worry. So thank you so much for being a part of the show. Uh, we are thrilled to be able to share your Yaya story. And I'm glad someone um, shared our podcast with you and let you know that you can write a story for us because this was perfect. Thank you both very, very much for, for being open to the story. And I, I love talking to you, Katie and Lupe. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Okay. Take care. You too. Okay, that's the show. And to find out more about our writers, go to our website, Instagram, or Twitter. 
not one thing, it's your mother. And that's the number one, not the word one. Want to do something to help us? Go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars would be nice. You can say something complimentary. Because you know what? It really does help other people find our show. And also share us with a friend because word of mouth is the best compliment. Join us next week.